If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Psalm 11. Psalm 11, we'll be reading the entire psalm, verses 1 through 7. Psalm 11, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Glorious and merciful Father, creator of heaven and earth, sustainer of all life, redeemer of your people, we humbly approach you this morning. We come to your word because we know it is there we can learn of you and of the wonderful gospel you give in Jesus Christ. The psalm speaks to us about fear, and we need in our day for you to give us courage to fight fear. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand the message you have prepared for us this morning. There is no other like you, O Lord. Thank you for your word and its wisdom. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for our lives in him. Amen. As the people of God, people who are living in a nation that has turned its back on God, on his word, on all of his commands, commands that define a a social order that allows for peace among men. We have to recognize the greatest enemy to all that is holy. That enemy is fear. We are seeing the propagation of fear in this country today on what I would call an unprecedented scale. I don't believe I know anyone, including myself, who have not been affected by that fear in some way or other over the past year. I entitled this sermon, The Believer and Fear. As one who believes in a sovereign God, as one who holds to the truths that come from his word and the promises that are are given to those who trust in Jesus Christ, you must not allow this enemy to weaken your resolve to stay true to the gospel of your Lord. Let us look into Psalm 11 for answers how to do this. This is a very important psalm to all believers. It focuses its message on fear, which is a very important subject for us to understand as we seek to live our Christian life. While this psalm has a prescript, it doesn't have a title. All it says is for the director of music of David. So we know David wrote it. When he wrote it, it's another question. There are many different ideas put forward as to when he may have written it. The best idea is that it was written when David was still in Saul's court. It probably came 
as the hostility of Saul began to grow against him, but hadn't yet become open. David's friends and others were telling him to flee. Go back home, hide. Stay away and let Saul's anger subside. They would tell him that he would once again come into Saul's favor. David was not sure of this advice, and he refused to flee. He refused to allow fear to overwhelm him. He was determined to trust in God. He continued to do what he was called to do. He would come and play the harp for Saul. He saw Saul as the king anointed by God and that God had placed him in Saul's court. He waits until Saul's anger becomes violent toward him. He trusted in God to protect him. He took on the fear of Saul and he stood fast in his trust of God. Fear can be a very disabling emotion. In this psalm, David stands up to fear. He shows that he knew what fear was and that it was hard to face it down. That's exactly what he does. How many times in your life have you been overtaken by fear? Has fear ever gripped you to the point you couldn't seem to move? Has it so consumed you that you couldn't sleep because of what lay ahead? Has it been such a force to stop you from living your life? Has it caused you to change the way you live your life, even to the point you have stopped following the guidance of Scripture? Please know, this fear is a very powerful emotion, and no one, no one escapes his attempts to turn you away from God. Fear can cause believers to shut down their churches, to hold their neighbors at a distance, to hide themselves from their fellow men. Those thus lose the strength and encouragement that fellowship brings. When this happens, how to fight it will be lost in a state of despair and our hope will be diminished every day. In this psalm, David lays out how to handle fear. He shows that there must be a determined trust in the Lord. And that trust must continue to grow even as the troubles seem to multiply. We can see that David, the great warrior, knew fear and had to fight against his power in his own heart. In this psalm, he shows how to deal with it. He tells how to overcome it. He makes clear it can be defeated. Let's look at Psalm 11 and consider this teaching on fear. First, we will see fear and what it is in the hearts of believers. We will learn how to begin this process of overcoming it in our lives. We will see the determined trust it takes to start this fight and how through the troubles of life we can win this war. Second, we will hear the arguments made to establish the foundation of the victory. We will observe where God's place is in our fight, what God's view of our struggle looks like, and we will be given his response to our plight. Third, we shall gather the foundation for our victory as we come face to face with his love. Fear is a paralyzing enemy. It can strip from you any vestiges of courage. 
God uses fear in the hearts of men to bring them to their knees. He uses it to destroy many armies of unregenerate men. But Satan also uses fear. He uses it to stop the advance of the gospel whenever he can. He causes believers to become weak and unable to act. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. As a believer, you must learn to deal with fear in a right way. In this psalm, David lays out how to handle fear. He shows that there must be a determined trust in your sovereign Lord, and that trust must continue to grow even as troubles seem to multiply. In this first verse, we find hidden a temptation to distrust God. David, in the court of Saul, was under pressure because of Saul's attitude toward him. Some of his friends, and most likely some of his false friends, were telling him to run away, to hide. They were not looking to his need to trust God to guide and protect him. Had he given in to this advice, he would have been open to the charge of a breach of duty or even worse, to a charge of cowardice. We see the same thing with Nehemiah. Some of his enemies, under the guise of friendship, came to him as they began to build the walls of Jerusalem and they warned him of a plot against his life. They told him to flee, to go into the temple and hide. They hoped he would listen and run so they could accuse him of being a coward. Nehemiah, like David, did not listen. He asked those who spoke to him in Nehemiah 6, 11, Should a man such as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. David, is in like spirit, refuses to go. Instead, he stands and he declares in verse 1, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Satan uses two tracks to try and throw the Christian off. First, he uses presumption, trying to get you to take some principle of God's word for granted and so ignore the command. Such as when the government says it's too dangerous to gather together and worship. Second, he tries to get you to distrust the promise of God, that God will protect his people when they worship. This is the case in this psalm. It's amazing to me that he will use those closest to you to try and argue you out of your trust in God. Remember Job's wife? She told him, quit trusting in God to go ahead and curse him and die. Here, many of David's true friends, because of their love for him, were telling him not to trust God but to flee. David uses the analogy of a bird. When the bird is threatened, what does he do? He flies uh, back to the mountain where he feels safe, back to that place where he, he knows and he feels safe there. David refuses this advice to flee. He knows he must not give in to fear. He knows he must stand fast. How easy it is to do that. But David knows God and knows that he has the promise of God. He takes his stand. 
He declares, I choose to place my trust in the Lord. He says, how can you say that to my soul? How can you say to my very heart that I should not trust in my God? How could anyone who believes in God say flee instead of trust? Well, fear is a strong motivator. It can cause you to flee even when you know better. Fear must be fought. I was given a border collie when we lived on the farm. He had been in someone's backyard for a number of years. He hadn't been around other animals very much. I took him because I thought he might be of some help with the goats and sheep. I had him, hadn't had him long when an opportunity came up for me to try him and see what he would do in separating some goats. I had the goats in a fairly good-sized pen, so I took him in with me. As soon as we entered the pen, Blondie, who was the leader of the goats, came out to meet us. She didn't like dogs. Lad was at my side, and he saw this is his opportunity, so he went after her to drive her back. She didn't retreat. Instead, she lowered her head and charged. Well, Lad retreated very quickly behind me, causing Blondie to go through my legs to get after him. He ran. She chased him down, cornered him, knocked him down, and then, of all things, she bit him. He went back to his house, and I later found him cowering in the back of that house, just simply scared to death. He had all of the tools, all of the tools needed to handle any goat, but fear overcame his ability. This is what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to overcome that ability you have with fear. He wants fear to overcome your knowledge of God and of his promises. David is telling you in this first verse that overcoming fear begins with the choice to trust in the Lord. It is a determined trust, one that must come from your belief in who God is and what he has done, especially for you. Who is this God we're to trust in? He's the creator of heaven and earth and everything in them. He's the one and only true and living God. He's the sovereign Lord Almighty. Moses declares of this great creator in Exodus 15, 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Jehoshaphat prays to God when a large enemy army threatens Judah and he says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? The Apostle Paul prays about this great creator in 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And as our Lord Jesus Christ returns to take us to be with him, it's declared by the Apostle John in Revelation 19.16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. My friends, as believers in the sovereign God, the God who created all things and sustains all things by the power of his glory, let us not be intimidated through fear by anyone or anything. We know 
There is no doubt. But that the troubles David saw coming were great and they were very imminent. His enemies were ready to destroy him. Look at verses 2 and 3. For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the strain that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It was very true. Saul was ready to kill David. He knew God said David would be king in his place. He already disobeyed God and refused to follow his law. He had it in his heart to do everything he could to kill David. His bow was bent. His arrow was set against the string. He was falling deeper and deeper into the shadows of his own unbelief. He was almost at the point of shooting his arrow at the righteous man God had chosen to replace him. David saw this and feared what would happen. Satan tried to use his fear to drive him away, to get him off track, but David decided to trust in the Lord and to stand fast until God showed him what to do. David believed his God was sovereign and nothing, absolutely nothing could happen to him God did not decree. Yes, he did in time flee, but not until God showed him that it was his plan. David, by staying as long as he did, the guilt was confirmed as Saul's, and no one, not even Saul's own son, Jonathan, could deny it. What we learn from this is the foundations of God's law are precious. They are important to the safety of his people. You can trust in God's law. It is there to protect you from your own sin and from the sins of others and the judgment God sends upon them. Under Saul, the foundation of God's law and justice were being destroyed by Saul's unrighteous governing. This laid a foundation of fear. You have only one of two foundations in life, fear or trust. When fear becomes the foundation, nothing, absolutely nothing can be certain. Nothing can be sure because the one behind the foundation is not holy or pure. The whole of life becomes nothing but one trouble followed by another trouble. There are always developing troubles. There will never be a sign of hope. Why? Because fear needs to continue to control you in order to stay in power. And that is why those disciples of Satan will never allow a crisis to go to waste. They will always use it to generate fear. The question David puts forward is a question all righteous men ask in such times. What can the righteous do? Or you could simply ask, what can't the righteous do? When you come before God in prayer asking his help, When faith is engaged and you stand on the promises of God, why should you flee? Why should you fear the cruelest and strongest of enemies? Why should you give in to those who are demagogues of fear? David faced the giant Goliath with nothing but a sling and a rock. God protected him. And he knows that God will protect him against King Saul. 
Do not look at the storm clouds gathering against you because of your faith. Look to the one who has commissioned you to his service. There is no such word as impossible when it comes to standing on God's grace. Our responsibility is to go to God's word, find his promise and his command, and stand on them. When men tell you to stop your worship and fellowship, know that does not come from God. In fact, he warns in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. This is what can build our hope and joy and keep us from despair. Fellowship is our great tool to keep us close to each other and to God. We know from other Psalms like Psalm 10, there are times when God seems to be far off. And we've all experienced those times, I'm sure. This can be during times of struggle when God is using the forces of this world to help you learn the lesson mainly of trust in him. There is plenty in this old world of fear. We see today the very foundation of life under attack. We see the humanists and the progressives and their wokeness trying to destroy those foundations through educational systems and in other ways. We see it through television and other entertainment media. But one thing this psalm teaches is that this should never cause fear to overcome you. David looks to the argument from Scripture that helped guide through these times and to keep him trusting in God and in God alone. This is the position David continues to come back to. He puts his trust in God alone. It doesn't matter what the problem. He sees God as sufficient. This is the only way you can fight off fear. You must take your stand on God and on his word and keep your eyes on him and off the circumstances. Your God is sufficient to get you through. This is where David begins. He looks to God. Look at verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Heaven's above us. It covers the whole of creation. And from it, God sees all. Now, it may seem to you that he is far away in times of struggle. But he is ever watching and guiding the events that you struggle with. Herein is the main reason you should never accept the vile suggestion of distrust. You should never allow yourself to be dragged down into a state of fear. You must always remember, there is one in heaven at the throne of God pleading his own precious blood on your behalf. The one seated on the throne listens to the intercessions of his beloved son for you. What is there for you to fear with such support? Is there a plot so deceptive that Jesus will not see it? The devil wants to trap you. 
is he, he wants to sift you like wheat. But Jesus is in heaven praying for you. How can your faith fail? Is there anything, anything the wicked can do that Yahweh cannot overcome? He will defeat every wicked scheme because he delights in the sacrifice of his son in those and in those his son saves. He delights in you. If you belong to him, his delight is upon you. It says the Lord's throne is in heaven. He reigns over heaven, earth, and hell. Nothing, nothing happens anywhere that he does not control. He ordains all that comes to pass. He rules and overrules so that glory is shown to him in everything. Why should you as one of his children ever flee before the forces of evil? He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So why would you fear any but him? Is not trust in him enough? Can he not deliver you without a cowardly retreat? His name is Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. Therefore you set your banner in his name. And you stand fast. And you let him fight the battle. It's important that you understand God's not sitting in heaven wringing his hands trying to stay one jump ahead of those people that are evil. He's in control. He rules by his decrees. Deism and humanism brought rebellion to this world, but they failed, and it was God's word being faithfully preached that restored men to a relationship with God. God sent revivals that opened the hearts of men to hear and believe. Can God stop the onslaught of humanism? Yes, he can. Does he need you to do it? No, he does not. In the years following America, the American and French revolutions, Europe came under very dry spiritual times. Christianity's influence declined to the point many said it was gone forever. But God said, no, it's not. He sent a revival in the early 19th century that led to one of the greatest Christian periods in the history of Europe. The Lord is in control. He is in his place. Not only is he in control, his eyes are always open and moving across the world, watching over his people. God is not dead, nor is he blind. He is very much alive and alert. God is aware of the wickedness of the wicked. He is ever watching men and examining the motives of their hearts. Verse 4, B and 5. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. God takes all men. He places them in the crucible of his justice. He does so that other men might see them as he does. The scripture very clearly tells you that all men fall short of his glory. They all sin. In bringing all men to the brink of his justice, he shows those who are saved and those who are not. The saved, as he comes face to face with God's justice, sees his sin, confesses, and repents. The unsaved becomes proud, haughty, and defiant. They show themselves what they are. 
The humanists show their lack of compassion and concern for others when they declare a woman's right over her own body and say she is free to destroy the life of her unborn child. Selfishness is what melts their position and causes the sinfulness to rise to the top exposed for all to see. Please note, God does not hate the righteous, but he does try them. He uses the afflictions of this life to refine them and prepare them. Through these trials, they become blessed. Therefore, you should never run away from the trial because God has prepared a blessing for you in the end. Stand fast and trust in him. For it is that trust alone that will be the foundation of a blessing in your life. God does hate the wicked. He abhors all who love their sins. That should give you courage. Courage in the face of those who hate you. Because as one who is righteous, God is on your side. And he always prevails. Upon the wicked, God sends judgment. The wicked are always warned by God. And the call to repentance goes out as he sends samples of his judgment. Pharaoh. Pharaoh was warned with each plague, but he would not repent. In this nation, we have to be considering these very things. We have seen two space shuttles destroyed right in front of us with a cross-section of this nation on each one. We saw the towers go down with an even bigger cross-section of the country destroyed. We have seen hurricanes and tornadoes across our land. We're going through a pandemic. Is God calling us to hear and repent? Please know this. God's wrath will come against all who are wicked. He will come with great and terrible wrath. Verse 6. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Ezekiel talks about Gog and Magog, evil tribes that fight against God and his people. He declares of them in Ezekiel 38:22, And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him and on his troops and on the many people who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Hear all who rebel what God has in store for you and repent. Charles Spurgeon said, O people of God, how foolish it is to fear the faces of men who shall soon be faggots in the fire of hell. Now please let me explain what faggot meant to Mr. Spurgeon. It was a meatball prepared with meat byproducts and baked in an oven. Our English friends would understand that. You can see the meaning that those who rebel against God will bake in hell. When you think of what is coming on those who rebel against God and what a fearful end it will be, your fear is changed into contempt of their miserable threats against you. You really must pity those and, and, and the miserable estate they're inheriting because of their sin. God sees all and knows the hearts of men. Have you checked your heart lately? Have you made efforts to keep it clean of sin? Well, my friends, there is only one way. Only one way to cleanse your heart, and that is to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ.
There is only one escape from this terrible wrath that is coming, and that is through Jesus Christ. Without Christ as your Savior, you will not find a hiding place that can protect you. There's a wonderful word of hope in this psalm for those who love their Lord. Verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance upholds the upright. God loves justice. And he not only upholds it, he defends it and makes sure it is properly exercised. You can't believe in a God who doesn't uphold justice. What kind of God would he be if if he were in any way unjust? Not only does he uphold and love justice, but he loves those who stand as righteous before his justice. He observes, he approves, he delights in those who love justice. He sees a glimpse of himself in their hearts. That should make you that much more afraid to run away and sin when you're faced with the choice to be his witness or a coward who flees before the ungodly. Know this. There is no way for you as a believer in Jesus Christ to avoid carrying the cross. You can't avoid taking the same shame into your life that he suffered on the cross before his enemies. Let us rejoice in the promise of seeing his face. Let us stand up and be his witnesses even even when our lives are placed on the line for doing it. Let us conquer our fear and remember what he has promised. The Lord is just and faithful. He will give to all who call on his name a place in paradise with him. What a glorious reward. You will be able to see the face of the one who saved your soul. Fear is the tool of the enemy but is not able to stop the one who comes trusting in Jesus Christ. As a believer, you know fear has been defeated. It has no power to harm you. Satan will come against you and will cause you to flee like the bird to a mountain of safety, but as a believer, you know that's wrong. You're called to put on the armor of God and to stand fast in the face of any and all oppression. Place your trust in God and in God alone. Remember, Jesus came into this world to do for you everything you could not do on your own. He won the battle with evil and offers to all who will hear and believe in him a part in that victory. Fear not. Open your ears and hear. Open your heart and believe in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Do not let anyone cause you to run before fear and hide. Your God is the sovereign God of this world, and he will not let you fall before fear. Rise up. Rise up and follow Jesus Christ, and fear not. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come this morning to the foot of your throne because we face troubles in this life. There are those who would try to cause us to lose our faith. They seek to put fear in our hearts so that we run rather run away rather than stand and testify of the grace you gave us in our saving our souls. Help us, O oh Lord. Help us to remember the teaching of your word. Fill us with your love and grace and imbue us with both faith and courage 
to be witnesses of your mercy in our lives. Thank you for your watch care over us and your constant encouragement that keeps us connected to you and to one another. In Christ's name, amen.